This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is John Trooper. This is Kate Prusser. This is Julio Rodriguez. Produced by Evan James Audio. This is Lookout Landing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is John Troopin. You are hopefully hearing me loud and clearly, despite the little bit of rasp that you can blame on Jared Kelnick for last night's double that really did a number on my voice. Uh, much like Paul Seawald, I am in desperate need of this Thursday off day, uh, to rest my voice up for a weekend that I hope is full of jubilant screaming. Uh, but joining me nonetheless, sort of, uh, putting in extra work on their day off, uh, is Kate Prusser. Kate, you were at the game last night uh, as well. How is your voice holding up? I was, and uh, about as well as yours. So there's going to be a lot of yeah. blame it on JK, who was hitting, hitting. That it's is true. a real deep, real deep throwout, throwback for my fellow olds. Definitely, Jared. Jeff, definitely. I was trying to guard my voice a little bit. I do not want to be losing it. No. all the time um but yeah i i i shit was indeed lost uh, as well as my voice but i was far from the only one uh well we go to our resident music expert uh, and evan evan james could you recognize could you name that tune uh i could not okay hey, will you help us out here jesus christ uh <laughs> <laughs> that is of course blame it on the rain by millie vanilli that is a deep cut that is extremely deep cut 91 i'm gonna guess like i mean it makes sense you don't know who millie vanilli is they were like one hit wonders oh i know who millie vanilli are they were on an episode of the super mario show in like 1992 oh my god okay uh oh wow i think i might have I think I might have overshot it. I can yeah, use Millie Vanilli with crisscross in my head too. It feels like the same era to me. Mm, they had um, they had very distinct looks. I wouldn't say they were similar, but uh, they were very. When did Millie? When did Millie Vanilli? Yeah, eighty nine. Okay, so I was off by a couple of years there. Still, still solidly. It's weird if you look them up. Like I feel like you could walk down. First Avenue and find people dressed like Millie Vanilli because it's just been that long that that like fashion has come back around. But anyway, um, sometimes it's really hard to be old, you guys. <laughs> All my you know who dresses like Millie Vanilli is oh um Playboy Cardi kind of dresses like Millie Vanilli. Sorry, <laughs> that's that's a more modern reference for the for the use. <laughs> we're we're See, a multi generational ish podcast. <laughs> 
Um, well, I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit. Uh, we're going to, we're going to address a number of questions here. We're going to talk about, uh, last night's game and the sweeping of the A's out of the playoffs. Get absolutely wrecked. Oakland, eat your heart out. Um, nothing against Oakland, the city personally, I'm sure they're mostly mm. lovely oh, no, a little plenty about, against plenty against the athletics um, a little something I, against oakland the city and a little something against this still significant number of ace fans who were there last night i was like really there was true. one sitting right behind me who was every time go oakland strike him out strike mm-hmm. him out and i like i just wanted to be like do you know like have you is this your first <laughs> game and what i mean <laughs> bless your heart for showing up for your team but like personally i would have a little bit of shame the mariners dumpstered your team all season long like all season long and you know it was i i wanted to i want to i have a little bit of that i i got i got a little of the irish in me i got a little of the irish in me and uh, and my temper can get up sometimes, especially because she was right behind me, kind of yelling in my ear. And I was like, you know, at, at some point I was like, oh, that's punching down. It's punching down now for Mariners fans <laughs> to be mean to Oakland fans. What a wild turn of events. Is that not? Well, it, yeah. let me let me ask this. Do you think, OK, so this year has obviously gone bad for the A's. But how do we feel about them moving forward as our competition? Because I don't I'm torn between thinking this is emblematic of them being on the decline and also thinking the A's rebuild completely every year. So it maybe doesn't matter in terms of the future. Where would you sit on that? I I mean, I'll let John talk. John, John hasn't gotten a chance to talk. So I'll let John talk. (laughs) Uh, I am with Kate on this. The, The A's are. You know, I mean, the A's, again, exceeded expectations this year, but I really do think they are, they are in, uh, in a stage of decline right now. Uh, they are losing a dramatic amount of their roster to free agency this year. Um, they lose Starling Marte, uh, they lose Mark Canna, they lose Jed Lowry, they lose uh, several relievers, they lose a lot of their depth. And they, they have traded you know, Jesus Lazardo. They traded Jesus Lazardo. Um, you know, AJ Puck is a reliever at this point. So two, you know, their two best prospects of the past few years are, you know, I mean, AJ Puck probably is gonna be a good big league reliever, but he was in triple a for most of this year and they, yeah, you know, they were contending and they didn't really lean on him uh, no. or call him up much. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly, I don't think they are done and dusted. I don't think they are a complete disaster, but I think there's a very real possibility. They look at where they're at and they say, okay, time to, time to soft reset again. You know, the, yeah the A's do where, you know, the A's are good for three years in last place every decade, at least. Right. They did that. And maybe we're into that part. I think we, I mean, I think, you know, this, that's what, you know, they did the Josh Donaldson trade coming off him being an all-star MVP candidate, maybe 
No, I can't remember if he won MVP. No, not quite. Yet. I think he won MVP with the Blue Jays, but was extraordinary. Um, you know, and they and they basically soft reset. They traded him. They traded Sonny Gray. Um, you know, they have a good rotation now. They got Sean Mania and Chris Bassett and um, Montas. Montas, <laughs> yeah, Montas is good. But like a lot of these guys have been around for a while at this point. To to the point where. They're going to start have to pay some, right. and they're paying Matt Olson already. Uh, they're going to oh yeah, also to decide Matt what to do with yeah Matt, yeah, Chapman. Matt Chapman fell in a hole. So weird, yeah. Like maybe um, literally, but definitely figuratively, yeah, fell in a I, hole. I I suspect they trade Chapman. Um, much His like value has to be in the dumpster, though, right? Well, it's not like he's he just hasn't been elite, right? He's still been overall good right like oh, still um, he's been awful hasn't he Isn't he's got he like, like a one striking out 105, more than 110 wrc plus right like i mean he's striking out an absolute boatload but when he makes contact he's you know he's still he's still got like 30 something homers um you know he's in like sort of padres he's trade 27. for him and it goes poorly 27. uh sorry say I that mean, again evan I feel like the Padres will trade for him and it will go poorly. <laughs> True. That could be. Padres don't have any juice left in their system, unfortunately. Um, he had 27 home runs. He weirdly turned into like a three true outcomes player with the strikeouts. It was like something yeah. happened to him between 2019 and 2020. His strikeout right rate jumped from the low 20s to 35 last year. And then... I think everyone was willing to like write that off as a blip, you know, he, and he yeah. didn't walk at all. He like walked half. He's got around a 10% walk rate for his career, walked about half as that much. And I think everyone was just like, Oh, just 2020. It's just Matt Chapman had a bad year. He was hurt. Right. He had the wrist injury. Uh, yeah, like? He's had a back injury too or something. Yeah. As yeah, so I mean, he's gotten a little dinged up. Um, mm. And I think the defense has maybe taken, a little bit of a step back because of that. I mean, he's still very good defensively, but he was worth, you know, something like 20 points defensively. And I think it's like half that now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a weird, a weird shift to a three true outcomes player, but he doesn't really have the kind of elite power to be a three true outcomes player. So it's, I think there's still a chance he bounces back. Something went funky. He's, it's weird to see a year-long slump from a player like that, but he I, I don't think that what we've seen the past two years is really who Matt Chapman is, but it does put the it puts the A's in a really tough place. Yep. Um, oh, and also their their farm system is not great. Um yeah. again, I watched it's a lot sort of, of the, wide, but not there's not they don't have not, the top. Not stuff. no, there's nothing in there's one Tyler Soderstrom is their one top one hundred prospect. Mm -hmm. He was in Stockton this year, so I actually saw a fair amount of that team. Mm -hmm. um, the Stockton ports were last in the high A or low A West. They mm -hmm. won 42 games and lost 75. They were the next closest team was uh, Modesto, who were 64 and 51. So they got pretty much dumpstered by the rest of the. Uh, of the Cal League. So it was, yeah. it's, it's not a rosy, like to bring this back into the wider discussion, it definitely feel, if you're feeling a changing of the guard, I think that is supported by what we're seeing organizationally 
obviously Oakland is like dealing with some off field stuff too, as far as like their stadium and the future of their franchise. And yeah. I think that started to affect their play on the field. I have a follow-up question I want to direct to John on that exact same line of thinking, which is that, okay, so let's say, let's say you buy that Oakland is on the decline as an organization. We've already heard rumblings that there's maybe a little discord with Bob Melvin, maybe that the Mets want to poach some of their front office people. Do we mm. expect there to be some kind of actual turnover, not just on the field, but in the front office for Oakland this offseason? I think if I think it would come from uh, the folks within the A's organization, A's front office, getting sick of having to try and do things the A's way, uh, as opposed to, I mean, the the degree of foolhardiness, in my opinion, that it would require for their sort of executives to say. The issue is the people we have in charge of the team, uh, you know, in charge of the baseball operations team. Like, you know, we just listed off all their issues, but it's like, hey, yeah, that's those are the issues you have when you spend absolutely nothing on your roster all the time and then just say, yeah, you can you can build something out of this, right? And then they do, almost, you know, not every year, but even though it feels kind of like every year, but like way more often than they should. Um and, you know, and don't really get any dramatic support. So, yeah, I could I could see sort of um, the the folks, you know, Koval and and um, and Bean and Melvin, uh, you know, the folks who who are sort of still major players there getting fed up and saying, you know what? <laughs> we've done enough of this. We've tried this. You know, we've tried playing on, you know, expert mode. Uh, for long enough, let's go somewhere where we can actually get a iota of support. Um, but I, I don't know. I, you know, I could see them making the Mets trade. That would be hysterical. Cause yes, you know, the people in the A's office front office, I think are excellent. And Bal Melvin is probably fabulous, but man, you know, the Mariners won the Lou Pinella trade. I don't know if that, you know, I don't know how people feel about that, but like, Getting a very good player, if the if the Mets actually trade players for coaches, like you, there's a lot of smart people out there, you know. You and and most people are working off models. There are absolutely advantages to get, but like, there's a lot of ways you could do it that don't involve trading stuff away. So I would be pretty upset if that happens because I think that would potentially benefit them more than anything. Um, but no, I you know I I think the Mariners are going to be finishing ahead of the A's for the next few years. Um, and the A's are going to be better than Texas, but not, not the, not a threat. I think they will be pesky for sure. Cause they're the goddamn Oakland athletics, but I, I'm not concerned about them taking the division from, from Seattle, uh, in the way that I still will worry about the angels and the, the Astros. You worry about the angels? Really? Always. Yes. Always. Yes. I, I, I always believe that it ultimately won't work out for them, but they, you know, you have to worry about them in the basic sense of, well, if Mike Trout and Otani and Rendon uh, are healthy and they have any pitching at all, 
uh, shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. and Joe and Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh are here now, and they've yeah. not been consistently good, but they've shown flashes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, uh-huh. it it's not, it's definitely not impossible to see it all line up. Um, I was encouraged by this year already having. I mean, I feel bad, but like Rendon breaking down is, you know, that's a good sign for the Mariners that Rendon had in his second year of the contract, a dramatic issue with staying healthy and consistently being able to be there. Frankly, same thing true of Trout, who has now had, I think, three straight years of missing a decent chunk of time. Um, I, yeah, he has, I mean, frankly, since 2016, he has not played, um, you know, more than 140 games. Obviously, 2020, he played 53 of the 60 games. But, like, he's kind of struggled to stay on the field, and he is going to be 30. So, or he is 30. So, anyways, all of that is to say, I do still worry about the Angels. because Yes, especially after the much publicized, I think somewhat mistranslated, but much publicized Shohei Otani comments about wanting to win. I think there's an onus on that front office to go get pitching help. Obviously, Alex <laughs> Cobb and Dylan Bundy were not cutting it as far as uh, really bolstering that rotation. And, you know, they cannot lean on Otani to be their best pitcher and their best position player. And that's the position he was put in this year. And um, it's amazing that he's able to do what he did and he's going to be the MVP. Um it's just a terrible position for him to have been put into, though. And it's deeply Angels. I mean, the one thing that comforts me about the Angels is, as much as the Mariners tend to mariner it up, the Angels really angel it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have things like this happen, just have these disasters come for them because of mistakes they made in the offseason, because of mismanagement, because of, like, poor, I think, organizational culture. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Also, next year, I think there's a very strong possibility we start to see those 20 pitchers that they drafted this year maybe start to trickle up to the month because they very deliberately targeted guys who would be able to just come up and and they they drafted for need, uh, which is wild. But they know what their window is and they they're going for it. So... It's, um, I think, I think, honestly, I'm more scared of them than I am the Astros without Correa. Oh if they my can't God. Resign, if they, if the Astros cannot re-sign Correa, you know, they won't have Verlander or I don't know, maybe Verlander comes back on like a cheap deal, but he's going to be old and have been out of the game for a while. I'm not super afraid of anybody in their rotation other than McCullers, who seems to like have our number every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without Correa, with Yuli Gurriel a year older, with Jose Altuve a year older, Bregman has had some issues staying healthy. Maldonado rakes against us, but no one else and is older. They don't have a ton coming in their farm system. I mean, I know that the Astros annoyingly, seemingly always find a way, but I would definitely say as far as imminent threat, talent on the roster assuming they're all healthy i'm more scared of the angels 
I'm real quick. I'm gonna plant a flag here. Gonna gonna die on a hill real quick. Um, I think Unreal. the angels are legitimately broken. Um, I kind of view the angels now as I viewed like the Bilba Vasey Mariners, and I, I'm with you on the whole like they have three of the best players in baseball. If it all clicks, like there's something there. There's just no way they're gonna get it all to click. I just don't see it, and they've gone through three general managers, two of which. I have pretty high opinions of who couldn't make any success heads or tails out of good teams that they had with the angels. Yeah. Art Moreno is notoriously hands-on in ways that seem to be detrimental to the team, both publicly and in terms of just the organizational culture. I just don't, yeah, I don't they play buy them as an organization on the, on the upswing. I don't, I think that they are mm. stuck in the middle and Jerry DePoto couldn't make it work there and he's making it work here. And the whole book on the Mariners is that we have bad, you know, like a bad front office and bad management or whatever, um, at least when he was hired. So you got to think the angels are worse. And the difference is we've changed since then for the better and they have doubled down on all the same yeah. things. So uh, I don't, I don't know. I agree that Houston is probably Houston is past peak. I think it's fair to assume Oakland is past peak. I think it's fair to assume. Uh, I don't know what Texas is or why anybody is mess. there or what they're, they're a doing. Mess. They're but a mess right now. They're arguably the most perplexing team in baseball. They have but, the second best farm system in the division. So that is something to watch out for. But yeah, they're a mess, right? Currently a mess. I'm a little skeptical of even that too, because um, we ran into this a couple of years, probably like five or six years ago now, but where they had like the number one or number two farm system with like Neftali Feliz and... Uh, yeah. Who is the other guy, like the number one prospect in baseball, Jerks and Profar? Yeah. And like they couldn't they, they couldn't make heads or tails of any of it. So they are sort of the most for, for as much as we I think bemoan our circumstance, uh, the Rangers are, I think, nationally the example of a farm system that was universally viewed as incredible that just never panned out. Mm-hmm. I think the the caveat was they had that while they were in the World Series back-to-back years. So everyone was like, oh my goodness, they're going to be a dynasty. And then that also didn't happen. And they didn't win a World Series. But they win the World Series twice. So, you know, can't feel that bad. No sympathy here. No, no. sympathy in these quarters. Um, I no. want to ask you guys a question uh, about your personal experience with the Seattle Mariners mm-hmm. and the playoffs. What when you when you guys think about the Mariners and the playoffs, what do you what what comes to mind? What what like most distilled memory do you have being in the moment? Because I I know you know Kate, you and I have been at Lookout Landing since 2016, so we've we've been here for um, you know we were here for the game 161. Uh, and the 2018 team, which was on wins and losses current, you know, equivalent to where they are right now, but was seven games back at this point, you know, or, or whatever they ended up being. So it wasn't really, you know, they didn't actually feel that close by the end here. And 2014, we had, you know, Felix pitching on game 162 where, if they won and someone else lost, they would be, you know, in a tie. But we've all been conscious, a part of 
actual playoff baseball in Seattle. So I, what are those memories like for you guys? I wasn't here in the 2000s, really. So I have very, I was in college and I'd already gone back to college by the time playoff baseball came around. And this was like, you know, there was not streaming at the time. So. They, didn't have roots, they didn't get Root Sports Northwest in, in Roanoke. Uh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, not so much. In Roanoke, Virginia, no, 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 there was no, uh, no satellite cable package or anything. So I didn't, I couldn't, I just wasn't able to follow it really. Sometimes I, you know, go online and like read about it. But so my only memory is 95 when I was really kind of too young to like I was conscious of it and I had all the stuff and I had a poster of Edgar Martinez on my wall and everything and mm. I remember like driving past the kingdom on my way home from school and looking at it and being like I bet it's so fun to be and listening to the game on the radio and being like oh, it's so fun to be in there right now I wish I didn't have three hours of calc homework to do <laughs> like mm -hmm. You know, just too, just too young to like really be able to, um, to get involved. So it was like a difficult for somebody who's my age, it's difficult to like sort of have been conscious and, and able to maybe do something, but like not really participate in it and then just have missed the next part of it. So it was, it, it's, it's a very, very dim memory. I mean, that. I think the difference between someone who has no memory of playoff baseball and someone like me who like happened to kind of not be around or like just was a little too young for it the first time around, mm -hmm. that's it's very similar. I think that's fair. Evan, how about you? What what's what's your what was your familiarity with it? Um and you know, all of this is with the caveat that you know, the Mariners are still unlikely to make the playoffs. And I mm -hmm. recognize I know that in my brain. But what the hell, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, I think we can we can talk about it. And like, I I get flag from you're so negative. I want an apology. Like, no, I'm not giving you an apology for saying they're not going to make it. I'm not giving you an apology for knowing math. Like, I have been here recapping these games from Patrick Wisdom in spring training. Like, uh, why? Oh, ooh, yeah. Ooh, uh, ooh. And if you want to talk about like some that's a whole separate issue but it is concerning to me that he went to the cubs the cubs were like do this and now he's like their star franchise player which again says <laughs> more about totally the, the cubs yeah it's that's upsetting to me but i'd like, like to point out too there was a lot of hand-wringing over patrick wisdom being on the roster oh that year God. and he, he never was, played so he was bad he was no. so bad he was so so anyway you know from that to this like mathematically they have put themselves in a position where their fate is out of their hands and you shouldn't do that. Like win some of those games, win some games against the freaking diamondbacks. And we're not in this situation. I'm so pleased they're playing like this right now. It says a ton about the team. I'm not apologizing for having a dim outlook on their chances because it's just mad. Undifferential is for nerds, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, call me a nerd then, I guess. Um, I'll answer John's question real quick. Um, do you guys know Odell Middle School in Bellevue? Are you familiar with that at all? I'm not, no. but I can I can conceptualize a middle school in Bellevue. I've if got you know that where in Northeast my mind. Faith is kind of over by like I guess it's Walmart now. 
um, used to be Kmart once upon a time. Um, but I went to elementary school and a little bit of middle school in Bellevue. And so I was at Odell Middle School in 2001 when the Mariners made that playoff run. And I'll never forget it because I was in social studies class and my teacher um, was a big Mariners fan. And so when the team really started to like light it up towards the end of the season, he would put the games on mute <laughs> in the back of class. And so it was on the TV yes. in the back of class. And yes. um, I remember I was I was literally taking my exam. I was writing an essay about Uncle Tom's Cabin in sixth grade, which, by the way, don't make sixth graders write about Uncle Tom's Cabin. That's insane. Or anyone. Um, or, or anyone. Or anyone. <laughs> yeah, or anyone. But um, so I was taking that exam and I'm sitting right up in the front of class and Mr. Black goes, Evan, because he knew that I was a big fan. He says, Evan, look. And I looked up and I got to see Ricky Henderson score uh, on, you know, steel home against the Chicago White Sox. So that was like, I, I got the moment, you know, like uh. I was a, a child in school, but I got to see it. And then I also got little pieces of the other games throughout the next couple of weeks as he continually would be like, hey, Evan, look. And, you know, he'd turn on the TV real quick. We'd, we'd check the score and go back. Um, so obviously I was too young to like skip school and go to the games and stuff. I was in sixth grade. but um. I remember it being very special and it sticks out to me. And I don't remember a lot of other things about sixth grade other than being a sixth grader. But I remember that I, you know, I bonded with a teacher because we loved the Mariners and we were so excited and we had never, had never been that excited before. And I feel some of that now. And um, it feels good. It feels real good. I don't have really good memories about the more recent teams, like the 2016 to 2019 era. Um, was it 20? 17 when we made the run with Cano, I kind of no with, 16. You know, smart no, 16. 16. Yeah. I don't really, and I said this before on the podcast, I didn't buy that year wholesale. Um, and I, you know, like I just, I didn't believe in that team the way that I kind of have optimism about this team. So I don't feel the same way, but I'm, I'm obviously thrilled to be back here and to be talking about this at all. You know, if you had told us, a couple of months ago when God, who was it that was starting the the Angels guy um in the infield? Oh my god. Jack Mayfield. Um, Jack yeah. Mayfield, the Jack Mayfield days of May. If you had told us <laughs> then we would be here, <laughs> I don't know what I would have thought. So I'm really happy. Uh we got a question from Jace B-E-I-N-E. I'm not gonna try it. Uh, but I'm gonna say in my head that it's Beanie because that makes me happy. Uh what moments do you from this season do you think will remem- be remembered in five years? And I think like we're not done yet, so I don't want to like. I would love I would love to come back to this question uh, in kind of our end of season thing. Um, but as far as like just this specific run of the past, like you know the A's, the Angels, the A's again. What are some? What is a moment that like is going to? jump out for you or what are you going to remember i'm definitely going to remember being there last night the energy was off the charts i mean it was just insane like in the and there was a little attendance shaming on twitter like before the game started because it was slow to fill up like when i got there i got there at like just before six i think and there were it was very sparse people were concentrated in the bullpen though or in the in the pen and they were watching that Orioles game on TV and like the Orioles would get a batter on and people were like clapping and cheering for the Orioles for the guy who's like up to bat with a with a runner on like it was so just the intensity 
people so invested. It was a small, and I think you saw that on Monday and Tuesday nights too, like small groups, smaller groups, but making a ton of noise. And then all of a sudden I looked up and the stadium was like bullish feeling and the noise was incredible. And people were just like, so into it every every pitch just standing and cheering and clapping and doing these chants and then afterwards the streets people were like honking their horns they're blasting that macklemore song a guy ran down first avenue just running through a line of cars slapping hands with anyone who had an open window go mariners chants that excitement that buzz And it goes back to what you were talking about, Evan, I think a little bit, the feeling of connection, that feeling of like, and I think this year, especially because of the pandemic, because of how isolated we felt, because of how separate we felt, uh, I went to the Alanis Morissette concert on Monday, which was extremely painful for me because I don't know if you've been out there, but the, uh, the reception, cell phone reception sucks. So it's like trying to follow that game and it was so hard, but when everyone started singing, everyone started singing ironic, obviously. And just to be in a group of all these people, like that kind of communitive feeling of everyone doing something and that connection, it was very similar. And that's what I'm going to remember is just after this year of isolation, loneliness, depression, sadness, feeling so disconnected from people, feeling scared of other people, like wanting, not just feeling like I wasn't talking to them, but wanting to push them far away from me. And, you know, obviously we still have things and I'm thankful that everyone at that game was wearing their mask, being super responsible, doing as much as they could in a crowd of 17,000 to keep their distance. Thank you to everyone who was there for that. Um, It was an incredible, heartwarming, and I think very special feeling. And that's what I'll remember. Absolutely. I will. Yeah, I think I, I, I guess I hope that I will remember it as the start. Um, Addy mm. wrote uh, a f- wonderful recap. Um, Adrian Leary uh, wrote just a magnificent recap for us uh, for last night's game. And, I recommend you go read it and the I'm I'm going to do sort of a spoiler here um because I think it is magnificent just this small uh section here just to say I am reluctant to assume the role of baseball corner, but I feel confident in assessing tonight as the one the old Mariners met their timely end. I'm certain their pulse has been deemed missing before. Nevertheless, this is the night it came to pass for a majority of the team's fans. You can hear it in the crowd. You can read it on the internet. The team that hurt you is dead. They don't exist anymore. Attempts to invoke their name don't work out here. This water is uncharted for those without the vocabulary to describe it. I think that is what I want to remember about this entire year, that not everything went right, but enough went well. And so many other things because the team had the depth, because the team had the youth, because the team kept giving themselves chances, 
even though they could have put themselves in a better circumstance to start the season. You know, we're finally in a spot. All September has been Logan Gilbert and Jared Kelnick absolutely performing like well above average baseball players, um, you know, and the rest of this roster coming together. Like, yes, this is a team that is here because they have are having career years from bullpen players. But also, now they are winning, yes, because they're bullpen rules, and also because their rotation is good. All four starting pitchers that they have, but four of them are good. Um, so I'm I'm enthusiastic because you can see now an actually good baseball team. Uh, you know, they weren't that all year. A lot of, you know, a good chunk of the year, they were a lucky baseball team. And I think now they are a pretty good baseball team. And that's, if that's where we're starting from, then I think the next several years are going to be exciting almost every year. And that, that it makes me very happy because I, I love that feeling of connection. Like you said, Kate, that's what much of this is all about. If for me is it is a feeling of connection to my, a place that is my home and is, is, and a community that I care about deeply. And I love seeing that passion and that enthusiasm. Can I ask I a follow-up question to both you guys on that exact same subject? Um, you said something interesting, John, which is that you will remember this hopefully as the beginning. I wanted to ask you guys, because I have an I have a pretty clear date in my head of what I think it was, but when did this team begin? When were they born? Because I do not think this specific entity that we're discussing and that Addy is writing about is the one that came out of spring training day one. So oh. when did this team where where did they come from exactly and when? Dead air. Yeah, no. sorry. I'm. I was trying to. I was trying to wait because I. I have something I wanted to say about Jared, but that followed up on what John was saying. I but now think I'm. This... I'm trying to tie what I wanted to say into <laughs> what Evan just said. Um. I. I will. I will pull a moment, and I think it is. Um. I think it is the series Bye. that they beat the blue jays um i think it's it's the series when the blue jays came to town and they handled them and yes it was the blue jays without their you know in invasion of canadian uh sort of hooligans but that was i think a situation in which you know they it was mid-august they had been sort of they'd had a tough stretch against uh the yankees and they really started needing to win and they took two out of three from a very good blue jays team that you know they had all of the same pieces more or less that they do now um but the roster you know that was easily a circumstance in which they were only five, six games over 500 coming into that series, and they were well out of it. It was a stretch where the season just could have kind of tapered off, and it would have been encouraging, and they'd ended up finishing around 500, and instead, like, they have 
torn it up since then. They've, you know, they had the bad Royals series, but really other than that, I mean, you know, they could have won them one more probably against the Diamondbacks would have been choice, but they've been so competitive for so many of these games. Um, it's just felt really good. Kate, what what were you going to say? Um, I'm going to push that a little bit because I cannot, ugh, and I cannot get the stupid blitz tool to load. Um, oh, Fangraphs is down. Fan, Fangraphs is down. Wow. I'm assuming that this is Mariners fans breaking Fangraphs right now. I've seen, I've seen officially it a little flying more. blind. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am going to push that to, I think, this particular iteration of the team that we're seeing starts uh, in the first game of the Royals series, um, this most recent Royals series, because you have that disappointing series that where they lost against Arizona, looked completely offensively flat, and then Boston, they won that first game on a Mitch Hanniger home run, essentially. Otherwise, I think that could have easily been a sweep. Uh, they obviously, they were in those games and the bullpen blew it, but the offense didn't give them an opportunity to be in it. Um, and that was the point for me. I was like, that's it. Like, mathematically, that was what you had to do. Like, you had a chance to get ahead of some of these teams who lost while you were playing a pretty soft opponent in the, in the D-backs. And then you had another opportunity when you're head to head. You lost more of those games than was mathematically acceptable. You're done. And then Jared Kelnick said, Are we though? Because uh, he came out in that game against Kansas City, who had taken it to the Mariners last time we saw them, if you'll remember. They barely avoided getting swept by those Royals. Yeah. And rough. they, Kelnick hit two home runs in that first game. And for me, that's what I was trying to isolate, except that fan... Oh, here we go. Okay, let's see if I can do the splits really quickly. Because to me, that was when Jared just took off. And he's been obviously improving all of September. We've talked about that on the pod. Like, he's starting to look like the player kind of we expected Jared Kelnick was, right? Like... We knew that he wasn't, he's a contact hitter. He's been successful at every level. We knew that what we were seeing from Jared Kelnick isn't who Jared Kelnick is. Um, but I don't think that that really, he really leaned into that until September. Um, and specifically that Royal series where he was the offensive hero. He's done it here and there. You know, there's been sparks, but I think that was, I can put this team on my back and I can carry this team. Um, since September 17th, he's walking 15% of the time, striking out 21% of the time, slashing 250, 365, slugging 636 with a WRC plus of 170. <laughs> That's Jared Kelnick. I mean, Which maybe is the not, highest on the team in September. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, and I think like, as far as what specific, if, like, I'll obviously remember the feeling of being there last night, but if I want one specific moment, it's Jared hitting the double. Obviously, weird echoes like the double, right? Weird echoes in Seattle history there, but Jared hitting the double. 
coming into second, the crowd going nuts, just yeah. absolutely insane. And Jared fist pumping so hard, I thought he was going to like dislocate his arm. I've watched that 10 times, mm-hmm. just his celebration when he gets into the, the bases, the, the like joy on his face. Yep. And that's what that's what's going to stand out to me. It is too much to ask like any one player to carry a team. But that offensive spark that was missing so many times, like that can be Jared. And it's not it's got to be not just him alone. Um, and that's why it's been frustrating to see the streaky offense. And, you know, there, I have frustrations even with this iteration of the team. But I think that was when Jared was like, I can do this. And he's done it. And. Without him, they're not where they are right now. Can I throw a date out here? Hit me. Okay. On May 13th, 2021, the Mariners selected the contracts of Logan Gilbert, Jared Kelnick, and Paul Seawald. <laughs> oh, well, the, yes, the famous, that's fair. That the is famous fair. Tweet of, uh, the famous tweet of Paul Seawald saying, Mariners calling up all their young bucks. <laughs> yep. That was not the moment this Mariners team gelled all the way. But if you're asking me to pinpoint a moment where the mentality of this team was born, that's it, right? Jared, Logan Gilbert has 2.2 war. He is the second most valuable pitcher on the team. Paul Seawald has 1.6. He's one of the best closers in the league. And Jared Kelnick is coming into his own at the exact moment we needed him. It wasn't on that day that this team was this team. But that was that was the beginning, right? That was where something was different. And that was after a couple of, of important things. That was after Evan White was out for the season. It was just before Kyle Lewis went out. It was after Paxton and LJ and Margavicious had all gone down. Um, Marjevicus. Mar- Marjevicus. Mar- nope. No. Margavicious. Margavicious. <laughs> Margavicious. Margavicious. Cabbages. No, more cabbages. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. That feels like a age ago we had tony yeah. sandwiches and more cabbages and <laughs> more gavages. no no i'm doing it wrong are gavages gavages oh my gosh more cabbages is closer more cabbages yeah more than yeah that's yep. fine but that's I, it, if right? anything happens i will pronounce his name and if any if you get caught out just say more cabbages more cabbages yeah you're good <laughs> um I think you're absolutely on the money. Um, I want to get to some more questions here, but very selfishly, I do want to, because uh, I I loved your story, Evan, about the the uh, teacher. The, yeah, the teacher. Um, I wrote about that same series, actually in 2016, um, in in hopes of playoffs returning. Uh, in the what was then a 15 year drought, um, or something to that effect, and I have a vivid memory. I don't remember, I just went and looked it up. And the Mariners didn't clinch a playoff spot until the last day in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I didn't remember that because I was six, uh, but I do remember the. I, I do remember having teachers having it on or having in, in the radio uh, maybe a little bit, but what I do distinctly remember is my bus from school, from Lowell Elementary, uh, bringing me down and dropping me off. And my mom met me at the bus stop with a handheld radio so that we could listen. 
to the entire ninth inning as uh, of of the third game as uh, runners got on as as Ricky Henderson, if I'm not mistaken, uh, mm-hmm. got on and Carlos Guillen, like the moment we got home was like I sprinted in, turned on the TV, and Carlos Guillen had like stepped out and they'd called for a like mound visit, which meant like came on to have Carlos Guillen put the push bunt through um to 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 score the runner from third to to sweep the White Sox. And I got to go to one game in the Yankees series that year, I think, or maybe it was the next year. Uh, yeah, it was the next year because the Mariners absolutely got rocked, obviously, by the Yankees, except for one game in which they completely dumpstered them 14 to three. And I was at that game. So oh, it, yeah. I, I have seen a Mariners victory at uh, Safeco Field slash T-Mobile Park in the playoffs. It can be done. Um, and the sensation obviously as a child is, you know, excitement, but you don't have the, what I feel now, which is sort of the weight and sense of community and the weight and sense of expectations and the drought and all of that. And I'm, I am ready to be done with the drought. I am, you know, I would love more than anything to get a home playoff game, but I am not these games. If they make it, these are the playoff games, right? These all are must win games at this point. And they are, you know, in, in every way they have the same import and they have, and you can see that in the crowd. You can hear it in the crowd. Like Kate said, you can, you know, see it in the way that, you know, every pitch, every hitter's getting a chance, whether it's a name chant or a, or a let's go Toro. I, I initially was very wary. I am now pretty pro the sea walled. I thought that was Seahawks. It took me a while to realize. Yeah, but now I'm I'm all in it. I love the and I think people are getting better at it. Um, I mean it's 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 awesome. It's it's what I love about sports. It's what it's what I love about seeing these things for. So I'm I'm incredibly incredibly excited. Um, and and man, I you know just I just want them to keep winning. I just want them to keep winning. Um, I let's, let's take a couple quick, uh, more logistics based questions here. So we got one from Ryan Turner at turns 44 on Twitter. Um, will Matt Brash pitch this weekend? We don't play blowout games. Might as well shorten the pen and activate a viable outfielder. And then uh, a secondary one to a little more esoteric. Is this a Seahawks or Mariners town? We're seeing what winning can do for the M's. Um, so I, I guess I would start with Brash. My expectation is that since he hasn't pitched, they'll have him throw like a bullpen today of some sort, just so that he's a little more fresh and that he will either be ready to go Saturday or Sunday. Um especially since Anderson's supposed to start on Sunday, whereas you have Gonzalez and Flexen who have been more reliable. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I do think if they option someone at this point, it's probably Mills. 
Um, but, you know, there's only one right-handed hitting outfielder in the minors who is good. And I don't think they're calling him up, even though he's going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, what do you, what do you guys think about the, uh, the Seahawks or Mariners town debate? Is it, is it a debate for you or do you think it's not, not particularly important? I mean, again, I, it's a little frustrating. The Mariners didn't help themselves out at this point because with the Seahawks, like, the feeling around the Seahawks right now, from what I can gather, uh, which I have no idea ever to judge by Seahawks Twitter, because sometimes I check it during the games and I'm like, oh, my God, they must be getting blown out 30 to nothing. <laughs> and then I turn the game on and they're ahead 10-7. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. Expectations are so high. Uh, it would be a prime time for them to snatch some of that glory. Football is always going to be more more popular than baseball. I think, unfortunately, that's just the way it is, but nationally, but you can make a town into a football. I mean, they could make this town both a football and a baseball town and sustain. There's nothing like baseball for sustained winning. The season is long. Like Mm -hmm. you can, and people, they proved it last night. Like people are so hungry. They want to believe they want to be like, they want, and they deserve, they deserve it. You know, like, so it, it's a it's a real opportunity for the Mariners, I think, especially. I have no idea about the Seahawks. I don't follow them closely enough to know what is going to happen. But I think they have more of a wedge to get into your Seattle sports fans' heart than there has been before. So take advantage of it, please. Yeah, I mean, from t- 1996 through... Uh, 2007 the Mariners basically averaged well I won't average it because that's a lot of math but they're they were always over two and a half million in attendance over the year and for 2000 or I guess for 1999 through 2003 they were basically comfortably averaging over three million in attendance um from 2014 to 2018 they were comfortably over 2 million you know not quite in that top level um but when the team is good people will commit and you know when when the team has shown that they are willing to commit to themselves and deliver on those that commitment it is it is absolutely i think uh you know a baseball town and and there is room enough for for both um in you know in in their hearts i mean in the 90s we were looking at it and like it's like i think 89 to 99 the seahawks were basically on a 500 or below team or just like not they weren't really competitive so i do think there's going to be a little more sort of back and forth there but you know this Absolutely, Seattle and and just the region was I think more baseball focused when the Mariners are good, and the Mariners just have been so bad or so mediocre for so long that like yeah, it's going to take a while for people to get reoriented on that, and yeah, it's going to take a while for radio to have you know more than a segment 
to talk about baseball and to like remember or hire people who are baseball focused. They are just never, ever talking baseball. And I understand it's like out of their comfort zone or whatever. They are football people. And because I'm sure that drives listenership, but it's, that's something that I think has will change when people are, are demanding them to talk about the Mariners more. It will just be a natural shift. They'll bring on people who hopefully like can help guide people in understanding things like war and WRC plus and like more advanced, like getting people, helping people kind of get beyond the, um, you know, judging a guy by battering average thing, which I know is on the way out. And the broadcast and Aaron Goldsmith do a great job explaining that. But Mm -hmm. did you you compliment Goldsmith? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does a great job with that. Uh, he's, he's a good announcer. So it's it's something that they, I think, will be a natural shift. I understand why it is the way it is, even though it has frustrated me over time. And it was definitely frustrating yesterday when I turned on the radio and on my way to the game, all hyped up. And they were like, now let's talk baseball for a bit. I was like, oh, sweet. And then they talked about Devin Williams. <laughs> punching the wall and said now what if that was paul seawald which is a hilarious image to think about the accountant the cpa (laughs) like paul gentle soul seawald punching a wall in anger like no i mean and then that you know back to seahawks so but you know it'll it'll get it'll get fixed do you mind if i take a crack at that question please do okay so seattle is not a seahawks I'm I'm gonna get to them. That's I think that that's actually kind of what I want to talk about because I I don't think that Seattle is a specific sports town. I think that Seattle is very much a live event city, and Mm -hmm. you see that because Seahawks games sell out. Mariner games have pretty decent attendance even when the team is bad. Sounders games are a huge deal, um, and the Kraken appear to be a huge deal before they've even played any games, and that's. Just on the sports side, I come from the music side of it, and it's very well understood that Seattle has a flourishing music scene, a live music scene, arguably top five in the nation. Um, There are pretty big people like Snoop Dogg famously said that Seattle is his favorite place to play music. And so I, I, I generally think that be it Hemp Fest or Pride Fest or you know, shows at the Gorge or Mariners games, Kraken games, Sounders games, whatever it is, Seattle likes these community things. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is the diversity and the liberalism around here. There's a lot of, you know, emphasis on the arts and on diversity. Um, There's also a lot of wealth around here. Frankly, we have pretty nice stadiums and like really nice teams and King County in general is a very expensive place to live. Um, so there are factors that go into that, but I don't think it's as simple as Seahawks or Mariners. I think that this city, this area, Western Washington, likes this stuff in general, no matter what it is. And um, that's pretty cool. And on the topic of 710, I agree. They you know, they probably talk about Seahawks content 75% of the time. And I'm of all the lookout landing people, I probably listen the most because I, you know, I, I listen to the gym and stuff. Um but they don't really talk about the Kraken or the Sounders at all. So the fact that the Mariners get any airtime feels like it puts them on the second rung, if anywhere. Um, but it's not a competition. 
you know, you can, I, I very much consider myself to be a fan of all of these things. And I don't feel like there has to be competition or animosity. Um, I'm happy to watch Seahawks and Mariners games at the same time on a Sunday. Uh, I've been to Seahawks games. I'm going to go to Mariner games this weekend. Like, you know, it doesn't, I think that sometimes it bums me out a little bit when I see hostility or animosity or whatever between like the fan bases, because the truth is we're all on the same page, even if it doesn't always feel like it. And a lot of that, frankly, is directed at Mariners fans because the Seahawks are like, you guys suck. And I, I get it. Um, but I'm, I just think I'm, I'm really happy to be in the middle and to enjoy all of it. And I think that that's the right attitude to take. That was a long answer. No, I, I'm, I'm glad to, because you are right. Like you do, I, I, I fully would agree that you are more tapped into the versatility of, uh, of what is actually talked about on uh, 710 and, you know, sports radio here. And I, I think you're absolutely right that um, that is a big, you know, the big communal events are, are, is, is something that we do well uh as as a region so um i'm I'm glad to hear you say especially for for the you know whether it's music or sports or anything in, in that regard that that it is something that can be sustained on multiple levels um kate we got a question from w underscore s at or w's podcast at w underscore s um this hero of last night's game Jared Kelnick. Uh, we're focusing on a particular particular thing. Jared Kelnick's thighs. Discuss. Uh, they make me feel clumped. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Jared has gotten some flack from older baseball fans about how tight he wears his pants. And they are tight. <laughs> but they're very much in line with... And again, it's really... We've talked about this a lot, how you can like trace eras in baseball through pant size and if we're talking about like the switch in these mariners i don't think there's any clearer one than like felix hernandez's pajama pants to <laughs> jared kelnick's uh jeggings essentially <laughs> so uh yeah it's just it's a it's a changing of the guard uh if you don't like it you don't like it but a fun thing that i got to do was a friend who had not been to a game Yet this year, uh, they were warming up in the bullpen. And I was like, uh, hey, check out the catcher. Wait until he turns around. And uh, just seeing the look on his face when confronted with Cal Raleigh's magnificent dumpster was dumper uh, was really, I mean, that's what we should be talking about, honestly. There's just, there's some really <laughs> just uh very remarkable lower halves here no i love it i love jared is and you know to answer the question like for real though um jared's not a big guy um which is good because he's speedy and you, i think his outfield play has improved a lot as he's get getting more comfortable out there um he's made a couple really nice he's really good like front to back out in center field i think he's still got to work on um his left to right and just some tracking and route running stuff. And that's going to come in time. Um, but where Jared gets his power from is those thighs. Like, is that lower half? Because um, just as a smaller guy, like, and, you know, obviously his arms are huge. Like, he's built up his biceps, his forearms. Um, so it's just kind of another example of how he is 
maximizing himself at all times to like he just puts himself in the absolute best place he can be to be successful and that includes like sculpting his body into the most maximized possible uh thing that it can be in order to be successful it must have been so hard for him to struggle like here's a kid who's just done everything his whole life to be good at this one thing and then it just kicked his teeth in um and i think that that's good for jared as a baseball player and as a person like it's a it's a real growth moment for him pants getting smaller person getting bigger on the subject of jared's thighs i would like to say that as an adult man who works out every day that if I had thighs or calves like that, I'd be blasting them everywhere I go. I'd be walking into rooms and just putting my legs on tables and stuff, you know, wearing short shorts all the time. Like <laughs> people just just look at it, guys. Just gaze at it. I don't skip leg day. Like, take a look because I'm here because like Jared, the thighs get a lot of hype, but his calves are ridiculously huge, like almost disproportionately. So he looks almost kind of strange when you see him in shorts because his calves are so big. And uh, if you've ever tried to build calf muscle, uh, not super easy. So um, love, love the thickness. Big fan of big fan of the thickness. I respect it. Uh, yeah, thick, thick thighs save lives. Uh, I will assume that is about Jared Kelnick and has no other connotation. Um, but yeah, the, the, the man's doing well and you can see why you can see how it works. Um, Let's see. What would be we got this good question from uh Anders Jorstad at Anders Jorstad, uh staff writer and links uh aficionado, uh as well as uh pitcher list writer and podcaster. Um what would be the most cathartic way for the M's to clinch? Straight sweep in blowout games, Seeger walk-off, Seawald slamming the door on a big save? Something massively chaotic. The world is your oyster. I will it's say it's gotta be Seeger. It's gotta be yeah, Seeger. It's gotta right? be Seeger. Like, gotta like, be Seeger. I yeah. Who I know unfortunately is ice cold. He's always been a streaky player. He's unfortunately hit one of his cold streaks at mm. the worst possible time. It's sad because when he came there was one at bat where he came up and I think who was on JP? Was JP on second, maybe? JP's been on second a lot for JP Kyle Seager. This, this entire yeah. series, yeah. JP, I we haven't met. I don't think we've said his name yet, but holy shit, JP yes. Crawford and Mitch Haniger, just and I mean, obviously Jared was huge last night, but like JP had, I believe, multiple hits, including the hit that put um, Dylan Moore on third for Ty France to yes. sack fly him in, um, and like I don't think he had any plays that were like. Sports Center, you know, top 10 necessarily, yeah. but he had a lot of like above average degree of difficulty. Never mind, it's a perfect throw, no problem at all. Like, I was with uh, Zach Gottschalk and Grant Bronston, staff writers, who, and we were just like every single ball at JP, we just exhaled because it just, it's done. It's an out. You fucked up. You, you have hit it into the no. You have hit it into the, into the nexus. Yeah. It, oh, it's his. Uh, he is. I. I 
he is death to grounded things. If, if, <laughs> death to, uh, death if to Moody was death to flying things, things yeah. death to grounded things. Death but he gets the things, things in the air too. He also gets like you know the soft pop ups and the the you know lazy flies and the foul like he's just all over. Death to anything left side, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, said I was last thinking week, about Kate, that. that. He's the MVP of the team. Yes, and one I stand by million that. percent. It's yeah. not even that close, honestly. I, they are not where they are without JP. JP Clutchford. Ooh, let me call breaking tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is absolutely his his clutchiness is, all, and he was the first one. You know, when they started chanting JP, and he was like, "Got to give the people what they want." Like he has an ability to respond and come up huge in big moments. That is spectacular it's really special i am so mad he didn't get his his rightfully deserved all-star berth this year um i just i i think he has been so instrumental from a culture standpoint from his play from his defense from his offense he is to me absolutely the most valuable mariner yeah i want to take a sec too to appreciate that there was a moment this spring where we were all pretty worried about JP and JP did not hit a ball out of the infield in spring training. And so some of that concern was warranted. Oh God, that's it right. Was, it was like <laughs> really, really concerning, but he has been not only like, I mean, maybe not from some kind of metric perspective, but he is the best player on the team. And he's also the one who this last week when the team needed, needed a hero, needed somebody to show up more than anyone. He has been that guy. And He's the MVP. He's the MVP of this team. And if we are in the playoffs, it's because he took us there straight up. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Did you guys see his quote about wanting to be the one, you know, when, when there's a, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's an easy thing, but, you know, talking about when there's a drought or when, you know, when something hasn't happened for a long time, like you want to be the one to be there. You want to be a legend. Like, Obviously, yes, I, I, you know, it is nice because that's how I think about it, right? Uh, you know, I would like to remember the team that broke this drought and, and, and it is very nice to have the players sort of viewing it in a similar fashion. Like, yes, you want, you know, it's perfectly fine if guys are like, yeah, you know, it's just another game and we're going to win it and we, you know, we're going to put our best, but it's like, yeah, this is a huge fucking deal. Like this is a huge fucking deal to so many people. And I know most of them didn't grow up Mariners fans. That's totally reasonable. But like you, you know, recognizing how they will be appreciated if they can pull this off and, you know, and, and how they already are appreciated. I mean, it is, it is a nice thing, especially given, you know, they are having to pull this out of their goddamn ass because they are there. They didn't get a lot of help and what help they did get pretty much did nothing, right? The major acquisitions this winter, major league level acquisitions, Rafael Montero sucked shit and gone. James Paxton <laughs> inning in the third and hurt. I, I Chris Flex, Chris Flexen, major league acquisition, their ace, absolutely huge. But three but, win, Chris Flexen, my huge god, credit. huge but huge like, credit for Flex. The 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 back end of the bullpen is a dude non tendered by the Mets and a dude non tendered by the Marlins. 
Giants. Who so, I, like Paul Sewald had like a nine ERA the last time he pitched for the Mets too. So like yeah, like this is you know it's so funny. It's such a funny team. Oh my goodness! All right. Um, scheduled starters are Marco Gonzalez, Chris Flexen, and Tyler Anderson revenge tour for game 162. Will we see Matt, any Matt Brash who, who is the most, or was he the most Twitter hyped cup of bullpen coffee? And relatedly, does that mean Logan Gilbert in a theoretical game 163 or wild card? That's from Nick Fielden at Nick Fielden on Twitter. Um, I guess, do you guys anticipate any sort of switcheroos? Because that's that's like you know what Nick said is what they're what they're expecting. Um, would you want to? I mean, is there any? Who do you want in that game one sixty three? Right, I you know, and I guess does it not even that it can really matter uh, since it may just line up that it has to be Logan Gilbert, but. You know, who is there someone you feel like is best suited for that elimination game or the wild card game? Tyler Anderson on short rest, maybe Flexen. Anderson Flexen, contact managers. It's gonna have to be Marco though. I mean and honestly, I don't feel bad about it being Marco. I think if it's anyone but Marco, and it kind of depends, I guess, how things line up, but if they have a choice and there's any ability i think marco would not marco would like chloroform whoever was given the start over him and go out there himself like and it's fair you know like he has been here he has been trying like with all his feelings to pull the team he's been openly frustrated with ownership which i appreciate and get and uh, I know he's frustrated by that Graveman trade and didn't see how that made the team better hopefully he sees it now um he sees it now Graveman gave us all those runs that's true I mean the way he ripped out of the dugout on Toro's homer um I think I I think they have made I think they've made their their piece I think they are they're all right and you know people people are allowed to change People are allowed to change their opinions when they get yeah. new information. I think Absolutely. that's an important thing to remember. Uh, people people are allowed to make decisions and judgments based on the information they have at the time. Mm-hmm. And I understand why that was upsetting information at the time. I was upset by it. And I the way they handled it was not so great. But it feels like that bridge has been kind of no, not burned. That bridge has been crossed. Uh, you know, that water has been stilled. And I would just be really surprised to see anyone other than Marco get it. And honestly, Marco's competitive. Marco's stuff might not be the best, but I think Marco has more fire and wants it more than anyone else. And like JP has that ability to bring his talent up to match. And we've seen it like, the other thing with Marco is you have a track record where we've seen him just get angry and get angry and pitch well because he wanted it. I it always stands out to me his first ever complete game. He was so gassed towards the end, but he wanted it so bad. I cried. That game made me cry because I was so happy for him. You could just tell he wanted it so much. That was like a couple years after the TJ, and I think it was just such a huge personal milestone for him. I'd love him to get this milestone as well. 
I know people are really interested in like the way our rotation might break down in hypothetical playoffs or, you know, whatever is coming in the future. But the reality is, is that the difference in expected performance between those four guys is pretty small. Um, It's more about when they're going to get pulled. You know what I mean? Like what you're hoping for any of those guys is they give you five clean innings, maybe run into some trouble in the sixth and then you're to the bullpen, right? Like, like you said, Kate, they're contact managers. So there's no obvious Paxton where it's like, if this dude's on, he's going to strike out 12 and go eight innings. Like it just, that isn't really the MO of this team's rotation. So you're hoping that somebody goes out, gives up under three runs over five or six innings and gets you to Seawald and Steckenrider Rider and those guys who can shut it down. So it's interesting to speculate, but I'm not that interested in it as a, like a concept because I don't think it matters. And I do think I agree it will be Marco. And then, you know, just like between like, does it matter between Tyler Anderson and, and Chris Flexen? Like they, they're pretty much the same dude on some level, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll depend on who they're playing, frankly, as to who I will be more or less stressed by. Um, but I mean, you know what? They just got to get there. Uh, we got a couple questions about bullpen pieces. Um, and I'm going to smash them together here because we have a wild bullpen that somehow just continues to work. Uh, from Connor Kelly at uh, La Velocipede on Twitter. If Diego Castillo wasn't an absolute nightmare to watch pitch, would I have to remind myself that he's good less frequently? Uh, which is, I think, a pretty perfect encapsulation of yeah, watching I Diego really, Castillo. I feel this that. Very I really feel counter. that. No, he's good. He's better than this. He's good. Yes. He's better than yes. this. Yes. Yes. Just people swing and miss in his slider all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, when he's on, he's so on. And there have yeah. been a couple of innings where he's been... Because yeah. obviously Addy on staff is a huge Castillo believer. She keeps telling us that that's the pitcher he is. Yeah. Unfortunately, he hasn't been that pitcher since he came over here. And it's very, he might just be gassed, honestly, too. Like, I think there's a good, because because of the misses that he has, I feel like that's arm fatigue for showing up. Um, it was a long off-season, weird, you know, the pandemic shortened. Um it's it that was that was tough and it was tough on a lot of the guys in the dr because of how they were locked down um and the access to facilities that some of them have it's it things were they had a very tough lockdown over there um so i i i i'm willing to forgive a lot of that i i think there's a, a good possibility he comes back and we're really thrilled about Diego Castillo next year because that's that's in there. Um, but it is incredibly frustrating that I don't trust him. And it's also a mark of how much the rest, how good the rest of the bullpen in that, that I'm like, oh, sticking right, that's fine. Even Mishevitz, I know people are a little down on him. He's had some definite wobbles post-COVID. Um but like even him, I'm like he's gonna get you know he's probably gonna get some ground outs. Like his swinging strikes aren't what he, they used to be, but he's kind of a contact manager. Stacken Rider, same thing. Like I'm not worried. They all have like miniature warts, like SeaWorld's propensity to give up homers. But I'm not. Generally, it 
does not seize me with the feeling of anxiety like seeing Diego up there. Um, Quick note on Tony Sandwiches is that I looked at his stats back in August and he was at point one war, so he was basically a replacement level. He's up to point six, so he's played pretty well in limited reps over the last month or two. So feel feel good about the trending of Tony Sandwiches. Yeah. Do you guys have much trust in Sean Doolittle at this point? Because that is another person we got questioned about from Welly at Kyle Wellman24. Um, I'd like to hear what we think about Sean Doolittle's role in the bullpen. Should he be getting use in higher leverage moments at this point, given his excellent track record in big games? Obviously, uh, helped close out um, several of the... Uh, 2019 uh, title winning nationals games and has been uh, for much of his career, an absolute ACE reliever, um, but has struggled for the past sort of year and a half uh, to be as consistent. Um, Personally, I I like Doolittle. Obviously I like him as a person. I do like him as a pitcher. Um, I think they're sort of using him right at the moment, which is to say, fifth sixth guy out of the bullpen and that's you know that's as much a commentary on how good their bullpen is as opposed to where you know he is necessarily um you know i i don't feel anxious you know i don't feel overly anxious when he comes in um just because he does have a good track record and he you know you can see his stuff has ticked back up after being kind of down for a year in 2020 um but you know i think where he's at is okay i'm not i wouldn't sub him up even for diego uh i don't know about y'all no, he's Doolittle, a- he's 35. Like, there's just, there's a ton of mileage on that arm. He's been essentially exactly the same pitcher he was here that he was in Cincinnati when they released mm-hmm. him, like, or DFA'd him, which is how we got him. He's here for vibes and to, like, cover some innings. It's, I'm hoping, like, maybe after this, he decides he would like to come coach in Seattle and we could have him here as, like, a mm. person. Um, But I think this is, he's very much kind of on the, and that acquisition, I thought, was like, let's bring some good vibes to this team that is potentially like going to fall out of this race pretty soon here. He has uh, a flat replacement level war, zero war through 10 innings, 10 appearances, uh, 5.4 ERA, 4.26 FIP, uh, 4.9 XFIP. I mean... There's not much to say about that. He's he's a replacement level pitcher. And when the team needs an inning here or there without much drama, he's probably a better option than I don't know, like Johan to some degree. Um, I would put him kind of one half peg below Joe Smith, who I legitimately forgot was on this team until last yep. night. Yep. Um <laughs> Right? Like it, I was like, Oh yeah, Joe Smith is here. But uh yeah, he's probably like on on any given night, he's probably Sean Doolittle is between like the sixth and eighth best Mariners relief pitcher, kind of. Um, but you need that guy sometimes. So I wouldn't make much of him, but I don't think he's like bad in by any respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good it's a good situation to have that be the 
lower, you know, the lowish leverage folks in your bullpen. You know, it, it's not a situation, even when they had, you know, like Edwin Diaz and Alex Colomay, like they had ostensibly just as good of a bullpen, but it was two or three. It was them and then like Nick Vincent. And then the rest of the bullpen was complete guesswork. And this is like, you know, that this is where you kind of get fortunate of like, oh, yeah, Casey Sadler. Yeah, record monster. setting, absolute Monstrous. monster, record setting, scoreless monster. streak, 26 scoreless appearances in a row, I think it is. Like, unreal, and like, not just lucky, I mean, obviously there's some luck involved in that, but like, you know, it's because his curveball is beautiful, and his fastball, you know, has great movement, and, you know, it, it's just... It's wild that they were able to trade two of their best relievers and they still have a probably four or five people that I feel comfortable when they come in the game. I want right? to um I want to say something about Joe Smith because I think like we kind of hand waved him away just there and honestly he's been um he's he was terrible in mm-hmm. in Houston. I don't know what mm-hmm. was happening. That was like I think that was what people were afraid was going to happen with Montero, that he was going to go. That was a change of pace trade, right? Like, we sent them right. Montero to get him out of here. Right. They sent us Joe Smith, get him out of here. Montero continued to trend downwards. Joe Smith has added about 10 points onto his strikeout rate. He's walking a few more batters, so that's not great. Uh, getting him out of the Crawford boxes, though... Yeah. He's dropped his opponent average from 365 to 182. He's shaved two runs, more than two runs off his FIP. Um, and right now we're about, he's 18 innings for the Mariners, 21 for 22 for Houston. So it's about an equal sample size, I would say. He's gone from a 7.5 ERA to an ERA of two. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been worth 0.5 war in that time. Uh, he's, he was worth negative 0.1 in, uh, Houston. So absolutely just, I think that that's like just a change of ballpark environment more than anything. Like his stuff maybe is not so, and he, he, you know, did it for a long time. He was, he was, he was fine there in 2018, 2019. He was excellent. Um, but for some reason, just not, he just got off to a rough start there and he's been excellent for us. So I feel great about anytime Joe Smith comes in the ball game personally. As a guy who gives up hard contact too, I think you're dead on when you say he's right for this team. Like I'm sure T-Mobile Park is a boon for him, all things considered, to be able to, you know, give up those fly balls and not have him leave the yard. Uh I also want to point out that um Houston kind of did really poorly in that trade. I believe Rafael Montero, I want to say he threw four innings for them and is done. So, like, fuck the Astros. (laughs) No, that has been, that's been excellent. And the other thing about Joe Smith is his leadership um, on a team that could use it. Like, remember, he wore one of those bullpen losses. Was it the Boston? I think it was Boston. I think that's the only game he gave up runs, actually. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, no, no, put it on me. Like, don't. He took that off of Swanson, who really stunk and has been stinking. Just stinking out loud lately. I don't know what is wrong with him, but I 
that's one that I don't trust. I do not want to see Eric Swanson in games right now. Um, but you know, he took that, he took that, he, he took the ownership for that. And I just feel like, um, that's a, that's, that's that veteran presence that, so we were even able to replicate Graveman's veteran presence in the bullpen with the, with that trade. Y'all believe in Alex Wells? No, but I love Ryan Roland Smith trying to get (laughs) us too. You guys remember Daniel Zamora? Oh my god! Oh no, no, I do, I do specifically because uh, an episode we recorded was, uh, I think it was maybe the Daniel Zamora era. God, yes, I remember Daniel Zamora because I was looking up. I did a an article about Jared Kelnick's um, how many off speed pitches. Well, I mean, really, it was about that pitch that he hit out from Otani uh, mm-hmm. to tie up the game, which was like, for me personally, mm-hmm. that will be in my personal highlight reel for this season. And maybe is the number one highlight for me of this season because of, you know, my lingering angsty feelings about Otani. Um, and then my positive feelings about Jerry. I think that there, there's probably no moment that is more my favorite moment than that. Um, but I was looking back at like, the last time Jared faced him, which was in June, and I believe that the losing pitcher in that game was Daniel Zamora, or maybe we faced because Cobb was still pitching and he's the one with the splitter, right? Yeah, it was Alex Correct. Cobb. Um, Who pitches and I think tonight, which means Zam- the Mariners don't see him. Oh, excellent! Nice. That is that makes me feel good. Yeah. I mean, they still get Jose Suarez. Jose they Suarez. have trouble Who, handling, and it was decent, but. Yeah, they don't face Otani, and they—that's oh, fantastic. Yeah. Although, honestly, I almost wanted them to. Madden has been pushing Otani so hard, pitch count wise, for no reason. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah. So I thought there was a real chance that they might, because honestly, in looking closely at those pitches, like they weren't good pitches. Otani did not pitch well to Jared. Uh, the no. splitters were not buried. Like Cobbs were against him, and and he swung over those. Yeah. Anyway, Zamora was the winning pitcher in that Alex Cobb game. One another game where the starter shut down the Mariners, but the bullpen could not do, could not hang on. Oh. All right, y'all. I think that's where we need to call it. I am going to go make myself some tea. I suggest you all do the same. That is a good idea. And I hope to see as many of you that feel comfortable at the park Friday. I'm going to be there Friday. I'm going to be there Sunday. Julio's going to be there Saturday. And probably Friday. Friday. I think Julio's probably going to be there all weekend. Which is wild. They sent him home from... Arkansas, like two weeks ago. Yeah, I to don't... the DR, and then are just dragging him back for this weekend. And uh, you said, John, I think they're going to give him the Logan Gilbert treatment slash Cal Raleigh treatment, where mm-hmm. they were like not on the roster or anything, but they brought them up. They let him hang out in the outfield. I bet Julio gets to take some batting practice. Like, you I know, mean, they're just going to let him be around the team. But I don't like, 
they actually can because of the right. COVID restrictions, but he might do right. the Ichiro thing where he just haunts the stadium and hangs out in hallways and stuff. Yeah. Like oh, I, maybe. I think he, yeah. Cause I think unfortunately Evan's right. Cause again, if they could do I that, I think they would have about COVID. <laughs> I think they would have. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I think they would have maybe not called him up, but they would have been a lot easier to consider um, doing that. But yeah, I think they can. They're, they're sort of more limited in what they can do. But I bet, I bet he's in the stands somewhere. He uh, has said on Twitter that he's going to be in the stands. So, yeah. um, oh, man, I know. Go to the stadium to see Julio. If nothing else, he is yeah. a magical, magical person. Yeah. All right, y'all. We will talk to you. Maybe this weekend? Maybe I'm, next week? Gonna, I don't you know. know we're going to uh, play it by ear. We're going to play it by ear. We'll either be unbelievably happy or happy. incredibly gonna nervous. Happy. Or I'm going to be still happy. Sad, no, I'm going to be either unbelievably happy. I'm gonna be, uh, oh, I'm going to be unbelievably happy or I'm going to be, yeah. I mean, maybe not even bittersweet. Because if they lose at this point, I don't want them to lose against the Angels. At least it is it is a success of a season already. And that doesn't it is you know, a success of a season. I will already. still be very, very sad if they don't make it at this point, but that's not going to haunt me. No. If in, they played in the way like, that you know other years where they didn't make it will haunt me. If they me, played like they played last Saturday against the Angels, and I don't think they will because I don't know what happened. Tyler Anderson got like possessed by the spirit of mickey mouse or something i have no idea yeah. what happened yeah uh just shohei is gonna get hit sometimes if we pitch to him it's just like <laughs> it's, yeah. it's gonna happen yeah i, I, I think mean... the angels had a ton of motivation in that series and they really really wanted to and you saw that too with oakland oakland really wanted to beat us they just couldn't yeah. and yeah. i think yeah uh, the same thing absolutely. with they absolutely wanted to knock us out like like we have wanted to when we've played them in the past. And I think especially at home, the Angels wanted to beat us bad and they couldn't. And now I think we'll get like a little bit less effort from them because they are just in the very last series. They're going to try. They're going to play for some honor. But it's not the same as them being at home. And the Mariners stands are going to be packed. So... I just, just put up a good showing against the Angels, please. And I will be happy with whatever happens, happens. Take care of what you can take care of, though. And honestly, if they'd done that early in the season, we'd be in a different position right now. That's uh, okay. We're here. We're here. We're here. And We're here's here. not a bad place to be. Here's no, pretty fun. Not. This All is right, pretty fun. I will see you, Kate, on Friday. Yes. I will see you. And anyone Evan, else who's coming to the game, send us send us a, a tweet and you yeah. know, we'll be there beforehand. I'm gonna go hang out in the bullpen um yep. area, the pen, and you know. Yep. Uh come say hi if you're a reader of the site, a listener of the podcast. Like, come yep. say hi. Give us a socially distanced high five. Uh, we would love to thank you in person for your readership mm -hmm. and your listening. It really does mean a lot to us. This is a significant amount of time. I mean, we're going to get off here. John's got to go to his real job. I've got to go do other things. Evan's got to go do other things. Evan's got to edit this podcast. I've got to run the site. Like, 
even on an off day, there's stuff that we all do to produce this. And we do it largely because of you and the response and like trying to make this space for the community to to talk with you about these things. We appreciate all the listeners, all the questions you send, everything. So yeah, please, if you're around, tweet at us. Like we would love to say hi. Thank you so much for all your support over this year. And if you can't be there, I cannot recommend enough getting in, hop in those game threads. We had almost 2,000 comments. And the game threads are excellent. It's been been so fun. It has been so, everybody, uh, I mean, again, it's easier when the team is winning. Uh, but it has been so lively. And so, I mean, if yeah. And especially if you're nervous about COVID and stuff, it is such a great way to virtually yeah. cheer with other people. You get that so. community. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that, you know, that's why we're here. That's <laughs> why we're here. It, you know, we have so many folks who are all across the country or all across the world. And it makes me very happy knowing that we get to be part of their connection and y'all's connection um because i've lived on the east coast and i was very distant and ll helped keep me keep me together in a sense of community so uh, i hope that continues here um and 